0: It's Thursday, August 26, 2021, and you are listening to Matters of Policy and Politics, a Hoover Institution podcast devoted to governance and the balance of power here in America and around the free world. I am Jonathan Mavroidis, a senior writer at the Hoover Institution, and I'm sitting in the chair of Bill Whalen, the Virginia Hobbs Carpenter Distinguished Policy Fellow in Journalism, so that he can answer questions and provide commentary about California policy and politics in which he is well versed. Bill Whelan, in addition to being a Washington Post columnist, writes weekly for Hoover's California On Your Mind web channel, and edits and publishes Eureka, a quarterly forum featuring analysis and commentary from Hoover scholars and California's top thinkers. Whelan is joined by Leo Hanian, Hoover Institution Senior Fellow and Professor of Economics and Director of the Edinger Family Program in Macroeconomic Research at the University of California, Los Angeles. O'Hanian also writes twice per week about the policy environment of the Golden State for California On Your Mind. Good day, gentlemen. Let's talk about the latest developments in policy and politics in the Golden State. Uh, today, we're going to explore two writings by Leo O'Hanian and Bill Whalen. Leo O'Hanian just completed a report with Joseph Ranich, a business relocation coach and former executive of Boeing about why businesses are leaving California for other states at an accelerated pace. And Bill Whelan wrote an upcoming piece for California On Your Mind, which addresses some interesting rumors about the upcoming recall election. Lee, let's start with your report. Can you give the audience a background on the business and regulatory environment of California that is compelling companies to leave the state? Uh, What makes the state such a costly place to do business? Are we talking about regulation, taxes, living expenses, or all of the above?
1: Sure, yeah, Jonathan, it's, uh, the answer is, is C, all of the above, taxes, regulations, living expenses, and all those really are intertwined and, and feed off each other in, in obviously a very negative way. So you know, California has been this you know interesting bifurcation of ideas in which it gave birth to Silicon Valley and just really some remarkable transformative businesses. We all know who they are um, and at the same time, small businesses, while well, those businesses, Apple and, and Google uh, and Facebook, were all thriving and growing at, at, at very high rates. Then you have people trying to start up small businesses that aren't necessarily in the tech sector and having all sorts of trouble, indicating that taxes, regulations are a big problem. So California policymakers, I think, in my opinion, have really ignored the latter folks and have just pointed to Silicon Valley and said, hey, look at look at those folks. California's the place to be. You know, we we don't have, we don't have problems here. We don't have the economic po- policy problems here. And then last last December, you've got Tesla and Elon Musk, and you've got Hewlett Packard, one of the oldest businesses in Silicon Valley. And you have Larry Ellison and Oracle. And within a week of each other, they all say, we're moving, we're moving to Texas. Uh, And that got, and and the fact that it was all three and the fact that Elon Musk thunded his nose at California and said, you know, you're kind of like one of those old sports champions that still thinks you're on top, but you're not on top anymore. You've become complacent and you no longer are competitive. And regulation, California is cited as among the very worst in the country 48th, 49th, 50th, depending upon the particular ranking taxes, California is typically ranked around 42, 43. And in terms of cost of living, California is the highest in the country outside of Hawaii, which is a bit of a, a, bit of a one-off. Um, so the last, over the last 10 years, people have been leaving California, businesses have been leaving California. And Joe Vranish, really interesting guy, he runs a business relocation Uh, Firm right now, we got together and um, Joe went through a ton of media reports, government filing requirements, and between 2018 and 2021 thus far, about 275 businesses have left the state, their headquarters have left the state. And uh, this is really, you know, you might think 275 businesses, you know, there's a state of 40 million people What's 275 businesses. Well, these are just the ones that are prominent enough to be mentioned in the media or, and or to be big enough to file some compliance reports. Folks in the relocation business typically say, you know, for everyone you hear about it, there's, there's another five that you don't hear about. And this, this week, my California On Your Mind column uh, that Joe co-authored with me is a 1,000-word summary of that paper. And we talk about just how important regulations, taxes, and cost of living have been and why half of the businesses that have left in the last three and a half years, why half of them are going to Texas and why the business exit rate. In 2021, has doubled. It's really it's really a problem for California. You look at the businesses that are leaving, and they are just they've been they've been created by remarkable entrepreneurs and inventors. Later in if we have time, I'll talk about some of those who are leaving. But um, this is a huge problem for California. And interestingly enough, Ranich emailed me earlier today and he said, you know, this story has been picked up by the Dallas Morning News, picked right. up in North Carolina, it's been picked up in all sorts of places. And yet the California media had been remarkably silent about
2: this. So Lee, they're picking it up because they hunt for our jobs at all times. I have a question for you, Lee. Uh, my roots in California go back to 1994 when I came out to uh, to work for uh, Pete Wilson then the governor of California. Next April, Lee, is kind of a dubious landmark in California. Uh, April of 2022 will mark 30 years, Lee, since Peter Eubaroth came out with the report. The report titled um, uh, "It's uh, uh, He led an effort called the Council on California Competitiveness." Seventeen members appointed by Wilson to look into the California economy. Lee, this was in the teeth of the Great Recession of the uh, of the uh, early nineties, the post war, the post Cold War dividend that uh, destroyed the aerospace sector in Southern California and the state really in a bad way. Uh, Ubaroth comes out with a hundred and seven page report, all kinds of ways to make it easier to do business in California. the question would be this. 30 years ago, we were talking about a harsh business climate in California. Almost 30 years ago, Lee, we had very high-profiled fights over the likes of Frito-Lay moving to Texas and so forth. We had states like Nevada uh, coming into Los Angeles. Each year, Lee, there was a jobs fair in Southern California where states would set up booths and invite companies to come in, and they'd just sell them on taxes and housing. The question is this, Lee. What is really different now versus then? What has changed in the last 30 years? Is there something new at play here or is just this continuation of the same old story? And Bill, it's a
1: continuation, uh, but one that's gotten onto steroids. Mm -hmm. So if we had the climate we had back in 94, I think we'd be reasonably happy right now. Home prices were much, much lower. Tax right. rates were much lower. We've added so much new regulatory machinery that businesses are having to deal with right now. So it really is the same problem, but it's been magnified by an order of ten. And you know, in in Los Angeles, uh, there are billboards put up by the states of Ohio and North Carolina saying we want your business. And what's really striking about that is that Ohio is Ohio is famous for being part of the Rust Belt. Okay, so they were the home of rubber and tires. In fact, my uh, my grandfather on my mom's side was uh, the inventor of a particular type of O-ring and his manufacturing was, it was in Ohio. Yeah. And Ohio was part of the great failure of the Rust Belt. Ohio's now reinventing itself. Ohio has on a per capita basis, on a per capita basis, Ohio is private sector investing, I believe, 14 times as much as California is investing Mm -hmm. in new private facilities and buildings and factories and innovation centers. So 14 times the difference. Ohio is reinventing because they're making the right policy choices. They're putting in place policies that are business friendly, which just means competitive tax rates, competitive regulatory environment. And Ohio is a state. That's pretty inexpensive to live in and that has pretty good schools. So Kelsipree's, Ohio's place has taken off. We're still kind of looking at our navels here in California. And it goes back to really Elon Musk saying, right. you know, I came here because of all the remarkable stuff that California
2: has. Now I'm leaving because it's just not worth it. Let me throw another factor at you, Lee, and that's that the horse is out of the barn and people have seen what life is out of California, and this is one of the aspects of COVID, which perhaps you should address in terms of California moving forward. Let's say that you work in technology in Silicon Valley Lee, or you know, down in Silicon Beach, closer to where you are in Southern California, and you're kind of the prototypical tech hipster. You've got a soul patch on your face and you got flip-flops on your feet, and you love the fact that there's a cannabis dispensary around the corner and abundant sushi burritos, that whole the whole cool lifestyle in California. And one reason why you like to be in California, besides being around like-minded people in your industry, is you like the lifestyle. When somebody says, you know, you should move to Texas, you think, oh my God, Texas, heat, cowboys, guns, you just don't want to go there. But guess what's happened in the last year, Lee? People have moved to Phoenix and people have moved, especially to Austin, Texas, they discovered that, you know what, I can set up shop in Austin, Texas. I can still do my job, you know, back in California. And you know what? the housing here is a lot less expensive and i like being here and this is a challenge i think for some employers moving forward in some sectors lee how do you bring people back to california
1: yeah bill great question the you know on the on my california on your mind column this week. Um, I just, but before we got on, I checked, I checked a couple of, I checked the comment section and uh, there was one, uh, one, one guy or gal who wrote in and said, you know, I moved to Texas 40 years ago from, from the North. I'm not sure where I'm assuming, you know, sort of New England. And, um, and they said, you know, here's what you need to be prepared for. You need prepared for um, yeah, the, just the, the worst heat and humidity. Um, rattlesnakes, uh, uh, fire ants, mosquitoes, you know, the size of your fist, they went on and on. So the good news for California is that, you know, it can be salvaged um, yeah. because, uh, because we have the amenities. Um, and there still are remarkably, you know, a, a, a remarkable number of very creative, highly talented, highly skilled entrepreneurs, in Silicon Valley and also in Silicon Beach, um, a lot of immigrant entrepreneurs uh, who train at Stanford and Caltech and UCLA and Berkeley and other other uh, uh, other colleges in the university system—they want to stay here. They want to create businesses. So it can be turned around. Um, it could have been turned around in 1994. It can be returned around today in 2021 if we make if we make the right choices. So well, it really is up to voters to put the people in office that are gonna make those changes and then have those people make those changes.
2: But what would you expect them the way of political leadership on this, So, you know, back when the Uberoth report was uh, put into play, Willie Brown did not show up, then the speaker of the assembly, he didn't bother to show up at the press conference, he just kind of dismissed it. Um, we had, the, um, we had the Parsky Commission on tax reform under Schwarzenegger. Democrats threw that in trash can, didn't pay attention. We had uh, just last year, Tom Steyer's experiment in uh, economic recovery task force, which we've talked about in this podcast and you've written about. Um, just a joke of an effort, if you will, um, but we can agree something has to be done. But just point me to somebody in Sacramento who has the clout to do something, Lee, and is willing to do it. Because I look at the State Capitol and I see nobody really up there willing to roll up their sleeves and dig into this.
1: Now, Bill. One thing you know, one, one issue I've written about, and I believe you've written about in the past as well, is just the dangers of such a one-sided, one-party state. Not just one-party state, but a really one-sided, one-party state because supermajority in the upper house, supermajority in the lower house. I believe every major elected official in the state is in the Democratic Party. Um, and not to be partisan, but you, one needs political competition for the best ideas to come to the top and for people to gather around those best ideas. And whether it's one-sided, one-party Democrat or one-sided, one-party Republican, is just it's just not healthy. Um, You don't get competition you get people sitting around coming up with ideas that fit their own personal agenda but that may be incredibly destructive for 98 percent of those living in the state and that's what that's what we have right now uh i i am encouraged by some of the lawmakers that i've spoken to uh kevin kiley is in the recall race for governor um really you know very young guy um attorney Uh, in terms of background, Uh but really good understanding of economic issues, and I think what needs to be done. And, um, you know, the first, the first, uh, you know, every, every time I write one of these weekly columns, and Bill, I I think we're coming up on, maybe we've even passed our three-year anniversary on our California mind. I think we, I think our first column was in August of of 18. Um, You know, at half the time I write one of these columns, I end up concluding, you know, when when are, when are voters going to ask for something better? Um, because it's really up to them. So now we get, you know, we we've talked about the governor recall uh, uh, process, um, you know, many times. But but if we come back to that, we have likely voters about being about evenly split about removing an incumbent governor in one of the blue states in the country, <clears throat> and we have demographic groups that would be traditionally associated with with Democratic voting, um, such as Latinos and Hispanics, really, really upset about how the state was managed during COVID. And and not to pretend that there there were easy calls to be made there. That was a one-off and it it was difficult for everyone. But right now, the anger of voters is being cast at Gavin Newsom and he has yet, at least in my opinion, to provide reasons to vote for him he is not articulating his accomplishments he is not articulating a vision and before we signed on today you know i was looking at some of his tweets shortly after he became after he became governor and his agenda was one of just really opposing anything and everything that was trump trump right and I, and, I, yeah, and and I, this back in 2019 shortly after he became governor and one tweet said we stand opposed to Trump's agenda. We demand clean water and clean air. And we demand uh, reproductive freedom. And we are going to protect our, our most vulnerable communities. Well, California has some of the worst water and the worst air in the country. And right now, we're out of water. He didn't move the needle on that. Um, I don't know why he's really talking about reproductive freedom that uh, I believe we it's, nearly it's, all Americans view that as being a closed issue.
2: So more Lee, I worked for a Republican governor who used to get asked this constantly. What about abortion? And, well, Wilson was pro-choice, but he'd say, look, it's the law of the land. It's the it's in the books. And by the way, who who put it in the books in California? Ronald Reagan. So, yeah, it's you can you can play the abortion card, which Newsom is here, among other things. But that's not an issue. But I'm sorry. Go on. Yeah, that's not an issue. But, but when you look at his agenda, it wasn't
1: a pro-California agenda. No, no. It was really a political agenda. It was a personal agenda, I think. No. He,
2: was, so he, was, he, he was, Lee. So he comes to office in 2019, and he clearly, his people, and this, this has happened to other California governors before. He's not the first one to get Potomac fever. But his people in the back of their minds, they had this all laid out very neatly, Lee. He would he would breeze through his first year in office with a good economy. He would then get you know handsomely reelected um, while he would you know, complain about Donald Trump. I just guarantee he would go to bed like praying for Trump's re-election. Why? The calculation that he would get re-elected, Newsom would in 2022 he'd be out of office in 2026. He could therefore run for president at that very moment, the country tired of two terms of Donald Trump. You know, hello White House. And then the pandemic came along problem number one and problem number two, (laughs) Joe Biden came along and won the presidency. But uh, you raise a very good point about this recall. And I get asked this a lot uh, by reporters, what's Newsom going to do now that we're within three weeks to go? Uh, What's going to be the closing argument? And we're still kind of in this phase of what I call spaghetti politics, Lee, where he's Still trying to throw stuff up against the wall and seeing what sticks in terms of recall argument, and you see this in his ads directed at Larry Elder, uh, where Trump um, he shows a photo of Donald Trump, but for reasons I don't understand, he has not tried to drag Trump into the conversation. If I were the Newsom campaign, Lee, I would be so trying to provoke Trump to to you know come after me and maybe endorse one of the candidates to you know to bring the orange menace into the race to try to uh, motivate Democrats. But he has not run any ads that really talk about progress in California. I mean, some some kind of a passive, but he really hasn't made this a referendum on himself. He's tried to say he's trying to scare you into not voting for the other guy. And this is the problem. Good example of this is uh, he's right now currently running against Ron DeSantis. He's trying to say that we don't want to turn California into Florida. Well, there's a there's a piece in the San Francisco Chronicle this morning, Lee chronicling, no pun intended, uh, seven counties in Northern California right now experiencing their worst COVID rates. So Mendocino is the new Miami, if you think that uh, if uh, you know if Florida is a bastion for COVID. So he does have this problem, and it is really where they're stuck. People tend to forget that recall elections are strange creatures in this regard, Lee. Um, it's not Newsom running against one person. It's Newsom on that first question on the recall ballot. Do you choose to recall the governor? It's Newsom running against himself. And that's a problem for him. He has to go out and try to motivate Democrats to run. I, I think there's a challenge here, Lee, that Democrats have not lost a race in California in a long time. so that Some Democrats just might be thinking... We always win. This is really not as, uh, as dramatic as the governor may think. But also, Democrats, while they like Gov- Gavin Newsom, they're not passionate about him the way they were about Barack Obama. And that's just a really good question, Lee, now that everyone has their ballot in hands, just how many people are going to bother to vote? There's a, a fellow up in Sacramento named Paul Mitchell, not the, not the hairstylist Paul Mitchell, but this Paul Mitchell uh, does election forecasts. And he forecast a turnout of about 50 percent in the recall. Uh, normally gubernatorial elections, Lee and Jonathan turn out about 65% of the vote, um, but this one he says 50%. That's a problem for Gavin Newsom. Why? That means fewer Democrats and motivated Republicans, and what it does is it, is it evens the playing field, if you will. If you go back to 2018, uh, Newsom wins by about 23 uh, points uh, statewide. But if you look at the voter registration gap in California right now, Lee, it's 22 and a half points. Given that 2018 was a good year for Democrats, an anti-Trump referendum, Newsom just coasted to victory. He had a tailwind behind him. Easy easy peasy to win. This time around, without Trump around, that's why I mentioned he's maybe he needs to bring Trump into this. And this kind of strange turnout where we don't know if people are going to bother to vote in the August or September window or not. He's scrambling. And you see this in terms of the shifting of the message. You see him in terms of trying to reach out to a surrogate. We're recording this on Thursday, the 26th. As Jonathan mentioned, Kamala Harris comes to town tomorrow. Um, they're doing a uh, one of those car events that Biden was fond of when he ran. Uh, there's a question right now if you have to wear a mask if you're sitting inside your car at the event. So it's just, it's more kind of COVID goofiness. But uh, yeah, it's a heck of a thing to watch, Lee, a guy who wins uh, by a huge margin in 2018 right now, just on the ropes and really kind of fighting for his life. Yeah, fighting for his political
1: life. Exactly, exactly right. And now the COVID, the Delta variant is is becoming more of an issue You might ask yourself, you know, has he taken a leadership position here? And I I view myself as being reasonably well informed about California and what the rules are. And I can clear from my own personal experience, I can clearly see why people are now confused about where the outbreaks are, how severe they are. Um, what what rules are being enforced at the county level, at the state level? I, I doubt you can find one out of twenty people that would have a good understanding about that. And yeah. yet, when you ask yourself, "What's the purpose of government?" providing clear providing a clear articulation of what's going on and how you should protect yourself and what's open and what's not open that should be that should be job one. And 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 not to blame him uniformly for that, but that hasn't that hasn't taken place, and just to go back to your points about Newsom and Elder, I believe it was yesterday that the former um, leader uh, in, in California State Senate, the Democratic majority leader, and Gloria, now Gloria, Gloria Romero, yeah. Gloria Romero came out and and um, and stands behind Larry Elder. Right. um and, and this i think is was uh, at least from my perspective you know a lot more about politics than i do but from my perspective this seems huge this seems a huge hit to gavin newsman it seems a huge boost to larry elder um and i have uh, i mean among the among the circle of friends i have and the people i talked to and it's a pretty diverse set a lot of nonpartisan people I haven't heard one person yet among the people I I, I speak with, including Democrats, who have said, yeah, he has done a really good job. Um, We have to keep him in because he is doing such a good job. No one has been able to tell me, and, and not that I'm asking, but when the topic comes up, no one has said, I think he handled COVID really, really well. Or I think he's really moved the needle on housing and reducing the cost of living. Yeah. or I think he's really real. i think he's put into some place some regulations or advanced some tax some tax policies that they're really they're in the right direction so he he's in a box because he is running against himself which means he has, to tell the alter ego of Gavin Newsom, hey, here's what we've done, and this is a reason why you should vote against recall. This two-part process is, is I think, strategically very, very damaging for him. So he yeah. better come out and give people reasons why they should vote for him instead of invoking Ron DeSantis and uh, and Donald Trump to try so, to make a case.
2: So I think the Gloria Romero endorsement is important for two reasons, Lee. One is, um, it's a very kind of Hollywood thing. You know, there's a phrase in showbiz, you know, if you if you fight the studio or something like that, you got blackballed, and the saying is, Well, yep. you'll never work in this town again. And that's somebody from the political class, you know, from Sacramento, bucking the governor from her party. And so, you know, she she may not work in politics again in California for doing that if the recall goes Newsom's way. It's a very bold thing to do. It's remember, Cruz Bustamante did this to Gray Davis in 2003. He put his name on the recall ballot. He got the second most votes, but he was kind of a dead man walking after that. Uh, Uh, He ended up running for insurance commissioner in 2006. He's the answer to the trivia question, the only person other than Gray Davis to lose a statewide race uh, as a Democrat in California in the last 20 plus years. Um, But for her to do that is number one bold. But secondly, it also ties in Lee at the same moment that there was a column in the Sacramento Bee by a a columnist named uh, Ruben Navarette, uh, which had kind of the same thing, the same message. We're Latino, and this governor has not done anything for us. And this is the challenge in the recall, plain and simple, Lee. You, you mentioned COVID. There are people who are generally uh, afraid right now. They are afraid what the Delta variant may do. They fear for their safety of themselves and their loved ones. There are people who are confused about what's going on with public policy, about how much of a menace this really is. But then there are people, Lee, who are just kind of a combination of weary and angry. And they're weary because they were told by political leaders, including Newsom and Joe Biden and others back this summer that we're reopened and we've got this. And guess what? A couple months later, it feels like we're back to where we were in spring of 2020. Um, but they've also been just grossly inconvenienced. Lead. at the same time, they've been inconvenienced. The political class in America has not. No politician has missed a paycheck during COVID. Uh, You cut to the videos of uh, Newsom going to French Laundry this past weekend, Nancy Pelosi having that fabulous uh, fundraising dinner in Napa. And to the extent that that stuff permeates in a society, Lee, I think it just makes voters very mad. I'm I'm working on a piece of Washington Post right now asking where celebrities are in the recall. Uh, You can always count on celebrities to kind of pop up and tell you how to vote. What did Homer Simpson say? Celebrities? Is there anything they don't know? Um, but in this case, while Newsom has some uh, some uh, famous people tweeting on his behalf, uh, I think they have Snoop Dogg tweeting for him, which is kind of interesting. Will people who are perpetually stoned? Will they actually bother to vote or not? Uh, that's kind of the Snoop uh, Twitter following. Uh, but you don't see Newsom out and about with celebrities in tow. Uh, but I think there's a reason Widely, if Newsom suffers from the idea that he lives to elite a lifestyle, he's kind of out of touch. He's at the French Laundry why do you want a bunch of celebrities hanging around with you who, even if they've been out of work for the past year, they're living off the $10 million they made the year before. So, um, it's a challenge for him. I think he has to surround himself by regular folks. And it's also a governor who doesn't translate as a regular person. So again, we're back to the spaghetti theory. Just he's got to find something to throw up against the wall and have it stick. But maybe at the end of the day, Lee, it's as simple as this for the recall. He does have this enormous and numerical advantage in Democrats. And if he just get enough to turn out, it just might be enough just to save his hide.
1: Yeah, if enough if enough Democrats send in their ballots. And and if they believe the
2: the fear mongering
1: about Larry Elder or any of the other candidates, then then he will he will prevail. Yeah. Um, and you know to go back to your 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 earlier point about um, about Pelosi. You know, there's um, uh, a reader listener uh, slash listener emailed me and sent me a link to um, a Twitter video, a video on Twitter um, that juxtaposed the Pelosi Napa outdoor lunch <laughs> that was, you know, it was beautiful. I mean, I wish I'd <laughs> been there and dining in on squab and great Napa Valley Chardonnay. Yeah. Uh, and then juxtaposed against that video was someone who had been um, driving through San Francisco and videoing what the streets of San Francisco look like today. And you couldn't have had a more black and white image of the dichotomy that's become California you know, hundreds of used hypodermic needles on the city streets, theses on the city streets, uh, attics passed out in BART stations, Bay Area Rapid Transit District stations, um, tents, uh, streets that have been taken over. Um, and this is completely nonpartisan that it, from the standpoint that this is chaos, yeah, this is not how anyone wants to live. Um, and this is what California has become, and more and more people are understanding that. This particular video—I don't know, Bill, what your definition of going viral is—but this had been viewed, you know, I don't know, over a million times. Um, and I don't recall the name of the person who posted this video, but if if you're in, if people are interested, you can Google California Dichotomy, and I think. I believe the the I believe the person's name was Oilfield. I think they work in the oil industry. So if you Google that, you can probably find it. But you've got a governor who I think is, it, it, and I think internally, I think he's really searching for himself. Um, and, and not not to get too psychotherapeutic here, but but compare Newsom to Bill Clinton. Um, Clinton had to reinvent himself. Clinton was uh, under enormous social cultural personal not to mention political pressure um, and yet he figured out what he needed to do in order to be reelected and in order to have at least a, you know 60% of americans were supporting him at one point after whitewater after all the personal travails that he w- that he that he went through and i think newsom is is probably having that same dynamic now asking himself god you know what do i do I've tried this. I've tried that, and 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 if I have to be honest with them, with with myself, if you're sitting there, you know, looking at himself
2: in the mirror, shaving, saying, "Hey, what have I gotten done?" So let me let me and, let me add a couple of thoughts there, Lee. Bill Clinton uh, was elected as a very young man to governor of Arkansas. And two years later, he was out of a job in Arkansas. He was just not a good governor and also events overtook him, Uh, in particular, Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter decided to dump a bunch of uh, Cuban refugees in Arkansas, and they got out of their facility. They went on a crime spree. And to this day, Bill Clinton hates Jimmy Carter for this reason. He blames Carter for his demise, whereas really one of the problems was Clinton passed a tax on trucks during his first term and just crushed him. So Clinton learned a lesson early. He got hit in the mouth and he he adjusted. This is the famous Mike Tyson saying, everybody has a plan to get punched in the mouth. And Gavin Newsom has now been punched in the mouth. And what's telling here, Lee, and this is also ties into Kamala Harris coming to town, Gavin Newsom and Kamala Harris are products of Bay Area politics in California. And as I mentioned a few minutes ago, it's the jet stream effect in California, Lee. Both were elected to statewide office very easy. well not easily, uh, Harris's race was tight, but they both got elected statewide office in 2010. Uh, Newsom, Lieutenant Governor, Harris, Attorney General. They then entered the jet stream. The jet stream then took into an easy reelection in 2014. The jet stream took her to the Senate. The jet stream took him to governor. Continuing the jet stream, the jet stream uh, put her in the vice presidency, and the jet stream put him very early in his governorship. Lee to be in a position to run for president if things turned out differently in 2020. Now the jet stream has gone from both of their backs. Kamala Harris has struggled as vice president, and Gavin Newsom is on the ropes as governor. Why? Because it's no longer easy. The wind is no longer the sail is, the wind is no longer at their sails. They now have to struggle and figure out how to be adept politicians. And you see both of them struggle. You see her struggling on the national and world stage and see him struggling here on the California stage. So this is kind of the question moving forward. We'll let Jonathan shift after this, but it's, you know, if he does survive the recall, what does he do next? My fear is that he just will not have learned a lesson, that he'll just come back feeling vindicated, cockier than ever, and just kind of further want to take California to the left rather than showing a little humility and kind of saying, I've listened to the voters who sent me a message. I think no, he'll dig it and say, look, a bunch of bunch of crazy white wing zealots tried to kick me out of office, but thank goodness the people of California came to the census. And I'm afraid Lee, getting back to your your report, it'll be business as usual in California.
1: Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think it will be business as usual. I don't think he will have the the come to Jesus moment that Clinton had to have and that Clinton successfully you know, move move through that process. And um, I loved your point about humbleness and humility, because I think the, I think the bigger problem that not only California has, but, but the country has is a lack of humble elected public servants, focus on the word public servants who don't feel the need to impose their own agenda, who feel like, they are the employer, they are, they're, they're the employee of their voters and they are there to represent their voters and do what their voters really want. And at the end of the day, and I think you know we're now in a country of extremes, but at the end of the day, what people really want is they want government to be efficient, to be effective, to protect their rights, to provide an opportunity for them to live their lives as they like and to have those freedoms. And mm-hmm. not to have to struggle every day to try to pay the mortgage or, or 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 pay property taxes, right? And and that's what Gavin Newsom is not at this point. Um, so, and I, I agree with you. I don't think he's going to recognize that. Yeah,
0: Lee. Let's take a look back at your paper for a moment, and then we'll transition to Bill's uh, article. You write that some governments in California have offered incentives for some companies to stay. Uh, But in some cases, this hasn't been enough. In the case of Twitter, San Francisco offered a generous incentive uh, for that company to stay in the city, a waiver of their payroll tax for six years, which is estimated to be $56 million. Uh, What other kinds of incentives have uh, local governments offered, uh, which have been successful, uh, and which have been irrelevant to companies' relocations decisions?
1: Well, California, uh, like most states, uh, will toss out various types of tax incentives, uh, other types of financial incentives to make California competitive. And I think for California, what a better strategy uh, is, is to make the state competitive for a place to be in the long run. Because what we're seeing now is uh, like in the case of Twitter and exempting them from from payroll tax. You know, that creates a dynamic in which other businesses get very, very upset um, and say, (laughs) you know, I mean, I'd like to avoid payroll tax as well. What about me? What about my neighbor? What about the business across the street? Um, So the problem there is that you get somebody for five years and this is really an issue for tech. Um, once you kind of as a tech business, if you kind of get up into the stratosphere and you're flying high, you say, okay, thanks, California. Thanks for incubating me. (laughs) Thanks for allowing me to become a transformative company. But now that you know, now that I'm worth $50 billion, you know, that 13.3% tax on on incomes, and the regulatory morass I have to deal with. uh, And the fact that uh, that um, as uh, Google, for example, um, pays—I think their median employee makes about two hundred fifty thousand dollars per year. You know that's a lot of money to pay, uh, and then including all the other costs that go with paying someone. Um, and then that worker at two hundred fifty thousand dollars in Silicon Valley—you know, good luck. <laughs> good good luck living the life in Silicon Valley on a quarter million dollars a year salary. That sounds great. But when a track home in um, when a track home in Mountain View costs three million dollars, and when private school for your kids costs sixty thousand dollars pre-tax per year, that two fifty is not is not really competitive at all. So, yes, California does offer um, short-term tax incentives, but that isn't worth doing if you can't keep those businesses in the long term. Because you want to think about those incentives as really an investment, as a long-term investment to draw companies here, to have them put down roots, and then to stay. Uh, and to the extent the businesses are leaving, those are investments that just, aren't, that just aren't paying off.
0: Bill, do you have anything to add to that?
2: No, I would just uh, note, Lee, that this is kind of a problem with a lot of industries in California. You know, I'm, I'm speaking to you guys from right across the street from Stanford University, I have several friends, Lee and Jonathan, who work over at the Stanford Hospital. They are nurses and physician's assistants. Uh, Stanford advertises around the country for people to come here to work. And you see the ad and you think, wow, this might be a kind of fun place to work at Stanford. It's gotta be very cool and cutting edge. And then you look at the bottom and show the salary. And usually it's six figures You think, boy, six figures, I'm gonna make a killing. And then you get here and guess what? You discover your apartment's $3,000 or $4,000. You can't buy a home and it's the next thing you know, and this is true of several of my friends, a few years later, they're just pulling up stakes and moving to another state because why? They want to own a home. They want to be able to save for the future. They just can't do it in California.
1: Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. It's exactly right. In the in the report, um, Jonathan, you're referring to, and some other work I've done, we make some calculations about your ability to live in a location after adjusting for the cost of living, and you know, we compared San Francisco to Austin, Texas. In Austin, Texas, the cost of living, including housing, is something like, I don't know, 15% higher than the national average, whereas San Francisco is more than double. Yep. So yeah, those six-figure salaries get get cut down really fast uh, once you take, again, cost of living.
2: Yeah, and the other challenge, Lee, is you just can't do carve-outs. So here in Palo Alto, for example, a few years ago, there was talk about what to do for teachers because you're experiencing a loss of teachers. So people thought, well, we should give teachers all kinds of tax breaks or maybe create special housing for teachers. And then the pushback was fierce. Police pushed back saying, wait a second, what about us? We're cops, firefighters pushed back. Uh, Nurses pushed back. Everybody wears a white hat in society kind of pushed back and said, what about us? So, you know, before you know it you have kind of the the worst worst word in politics, comprehensive where you're just doing some sort of comprehensive measure trying to cover everybody. And since you follow government very closely you know what's gonna happen. You're gonna end up helping out people who probably don't need help in the process before you know it. your wealthy people at Google are getting help
0: Bill, <laughs> you know, let's get uh, into your upcoming piece which addresses some rumors and conspiracy theories about the upcoming recall election uh, the first allegation you address goes something like this Secretary of State Shirley Weber designed the ballot envelope with a hole in it so that election process election officials can toss ballots and manipulate manipulate the results before the official counting process uh, can you explain uh, this theory that you discuss in the article and uh, is it is it plausible
2: Well, it's all put on our tinfoil hats, Lee, I'll leave it to you to look out your window for the black helicopters, but um, it goes something like this, Uh, somebody was fiddling recently with their recall ballot. And um, they marked, uh, yes, I want to recall the governor. And then they stuffed their uh, ballot into their return envelope. And they noticed that where it's marked that you want to recall the ballot, uh, you want to recall the governor. You can see that through one of the the holes in the envelope. So this person's thought was, well, this is going to get mailed into an election official. And if they're a Newsom-friendly Democratic election official, they're going to toss it. And it ties into kind of this larger paranoia in this state that somehow, if you want to recall the governor, your vote's not going to be counted. I have a friend who's a realtor down in Carmel. She was telling me the other day that she was going to turn on her ballot and her family, which is very conservative, said, don't mail it. And she said, why? She said, they're not going to send it through the mail. It's going to get hijacked. And so this is what I wrote about just kind of all these sort of theories floating around California right now about things that could happen in the recall. Um, now, the reason why there are holes in that ballot, by the way, I suppose, because if you're visually impaired, it uh, it helps you see the ballot. It helps you see the uh, putting in your ballot correctly. But uh, anyway, just I think it kind of shows you maybe this is after four years of Trump and a uh, particularly bruising 2020 election with all kinds of crazy theories going on that uh, we're still not out of the woods when it comes to uh, people thinking that elections are always somehow rigged. Exactly. The last
1: this should be the last. You know, the, the integrity of an election should be the last thing we should be worrying about in right. the 21st century, in the most technologically advanced state, and the most technologically advanced country in in the world. Right. Um, and yet, this is where this is where we are. Um, we we're are. worried about the integrity of uh, of the recall election, and. Um, um, no, I mean, I, 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 a reader sent sent me an email that, that that directed me to. I can't remember if it was Twitter, or TikTok, but yep. but yeah, they 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 showed they showed the ballot, in the little circle, the little hole, punched that hole, and uh, if it lined up with whether you whether you voted yes or no on the uh, on the recall.
2: Yeah. So, so so some of the things I wrote about in my column, Lee and Jonathan, are just the kind of stuff that people come up when they have too much time on their hands. For example, there's there's a theory in Sacramento that uh, Newsom, if he is trailing in the recall with a few days to go before the election, he'll. Resigned, And he'll hand over the job to lieutenant governor. It's kind of interesting when you think about it, that'll keep the job in democratic hands. And then there's a question of what do you do in a recall election when the subject of the recall has resigned? Does the election still go on or not? So that's one theory floating around. that's not gonna happen. People don't resign. <laughs> People, you know, If you're trailing a campaign, rarely do you believe you're trailing, they'll stay into the end. Another theory is that uh, he will, uh, if Newsom loses the recall election, that somehow he'll convince Diane Feinstein that she should step down from office. And in the five weeks between his losing the election and having to leave office, he will then appoint himself to the Senate. Uh, so that's an interesting theory that's uh, floating around as well. Um, the one one that I do take seriously, though, uh, it's the idea that if Newsom loses in the recall election, that the results will be protested and not the count, but the constitutionality. There's a gentleman named Erwin Treminsky. He is the dean of the uh, School of Law at Berkeley, and he wrote a piece in The New York Times a couple of weeks ago saying that the recall is not constitutional. His thinking is because If the first question on the ballot, yes or no, to recall the governor, is very close. Let's say a 50 50 to 49% outcome. That means 49% of the people voted for Gavin Newsom. And then on the second question, let's say Larry Elder or someone else finishes first, but it's maybe 25% of the vote. You cannot constitutionally under the idea that all votes count the same. You cannot say that 49% voting one way uh, is supplanted by 25% of the people voting the other way. Now, I think there's probably an easy way to knock that down in court, and I'm not a lawyer by any means, but – you can vote against the recall, but not necessarily support governor Newsom. I have several Republican friends who plan to do this. They just don't think this is the right thing to be doing with only a year left in his term. So they're not endorsing Gavin Newsom. They're just, uh, they're against the process itself. But uh, anyway, it just shows there's a lot of buzz going around here right now. The one other thing, which I do take seriously, by the way, and Lee, I'd like to get your thoughts on this. uh, It's the idea of the legislature with its thumb on this election. Uh, Last week, there was supposed to be a uh, hearing in Sacramento about EDD, the, uh, um, the Employment uh, Department, uh, Development Department. They're responsible for handing out unemployment checks in California. They are uh, essentially the equivalent of our trying to get out of Kabul. It's just a disaster. Uh, there are hundreds of thousands of Californians who have been waiting for unemployment checks. You don't get them. Uh, Lee, here we are in the technology heart of America, and our technology is so crappy in government, we can't print unemployment checks. Uh, supposed to be a hearing for ED&D. It's been postponed twice. It's not been postponed until after September the 14th. It was not supposed to hearing lee on uh, wildlife policy in california uh here newsom has a problem he's made all kinds of uh, claims about clearing land in california it's a it's a gross over exaggeration that hearing just got canceled flat out so here you have you know the governor's friends in legislature just pushing stuff aside because why it'll create bad news for him before september the 14th
1: yeah exactly right and um, you know I'm not I'm, I'm not particularly partisan. So, I bet, but if I try to put myself into a partisan frame of mind, um, and I was I was I was in the state legislature, and I and I thought about the people who've been harmed, um, and the and and the people convicted murderers, um, in, in the state penal uh, penal system who have received fraudulently unemployment benefits, <clears throat> and those legitimate claims that have not been paid for months. I would just think, am I really going to stand for this? Am I really going to support the person who didn't clean this up? Now, EDD is a great example, and I would say, you know, the other the, the other day, someone wrote to me and asked me, well, you know, if you had to point to to Newsom's biggest failure, what would you point to? And <clears throat> sadly, from my perspective, I think there there are many, um, but. The failure to clean up EDD, I think really is job one because the whole idea was to protect people, their livelihoods to some level during the pandemic when it's a government engineered depression. Mm -hmm. So the government is incumbent upon the government Mm -hmm. to protect those people. And what happens? People wait months to to get a legitimate unemployment benefit. Whereas convicted felons are fraudulently receiving <clears throat> in some cases, hundreds of thousands of dollars in fraudulent unemployment pay. And that still is not cleaned up. And it's, it's uh, in over $30 billion. Uh, as of January, it was over $30 billion being being paid out fraudulently. So if I'm in the Democrat, if I'm a Democratic legislator, I you know, you, you ask yourself like just, how badly do I feel about myself to cancel hearings about these debacles um, in order to protect a governor that after I think about it, who just hasn't really done their job. And again, we go back to the point of, hey, where is the humble legislator? Where's the humble policymaker? Where's the policymaker who stands up for their constituents rather than a governor who at best is one who can be characterized as, well, he may, maybe he would have gotten things done, but COVID got in the way.
2: Um, I and, t- I, and I tie yeah. into one other thing, Lee, and um, it's getting back to what I said earlier about the political class in this country, just not really feeling COVID uh, the way that uh, regular folks have. But secondly, and this t- ties into what's going on uh, in Washington right now with regards to Afghanistan and why, frankly, probably, if I had uh, the Newsom campaign, I might have just let Kamala go back straight to Washington. Uh, it's a question of competency in government. It's not just EDD in terms of technology, Lee. Uh, before ed there was the DMV. And the DMV, you might remember in California, had this great uh, scandal over security breach, and that apparently you could hack into DMV and get all kinds of data on anyone and everyone who would apply for a driver's license. Um, voters look at that and they kind of ask, my God, who's running our government, and why can't government do things sensibly? And, you know, things like this aren't necessarily Gavin Newsom's fault, but he accepts them. He is always quick to say, you know, I, I take this as is on me, if you will. Uh, but that's part of what's interesting about this recall vote. if voters are in a foul mood in California. If they see a state that has not run very well, if they uh, have felt inconvenience the past year, and then they just simply look around and just, they look at a diminished quality of life and just have kind of a lot of frustration out of that, they may look for a pound of flesh and there's Gavin Newsom as a very inviting target. Yeah, he's, um, you know, I, I think genuinely he, he wants
1: to do a good job. Uh, I think he can't help, I think he can help himself about the ability to look beyond his own agenda and understand maybe maybe there are parts of my agenda that aren't in the best interest of the state and I need to revisit that. And you no, know, the, the, the failures that we see at EDD and DMV and throughout state bureaus um, is a failure of hardware and software. So you know, EDD has a 35 year old mainframe and it's run on COBOL, which is a software application, was developed. I think it was developed in the 1950s. Yep. Nobody outside of government runs COBOL anymore. Right. Um, you know, <laughs> nobody, and, and that's why these things get hacked because the code has been patched so many times that there's backdoors here and backdoors there, and yeah, stuff gets hacked. And in the private sector you know you don't see the private sector running stuff on on 35 year old mainframes and using cobol uh, a 70 a 70 year old software application you just don't see that so yeah it comes down to your point of basic competency is the government effective are they efficient answers to those things are no and no and these things have been decades in the making these the these didn't happen overnight on gavin newsom's watch but now that uh, now that the garbage is hitting the fan, it's up to him to make progress in correcting this. And the EDT has not made progress in correcting this. And that happened on Gavin's watch. Yeah, good
2: point.
0: Gentlemen, I have one last question, and this is regarding the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. Cases in California are steadily climbing. Um, do, you, do you believe that COVID is going to still uh, play a factor within the next Couple of weeks and possibly shape the outcome of this election. Why don't we start with you, Bill?
2: Yeah, I do because um, you know the governor reopened us in June, and now we've been thrown a curveball, and uh, we are regressing. Uh, we've gone indoor mass mandates. I think Lee down in Southern California now. You have outdoor mass mandates for sporting events. So uh, if I shuffle down to Los Angeles to see Stanford play USC, I. Not sure I want to go sit in the Los Angeles Coliseum with everybody else maybe wearing a mask, or it might drive me nuts because no one's gonna wear a mask inside of there. And who's gonna who's gonna be the mall cop who's gonna tell people to put on a mask? So I think it um yeah, I think it just puts voters again, getting back to my theme here, it just adds to voters already sour mood that they don't see progress. Uh, and also they're scared, and they just kind of wonder where the leadership was. So yeah, it does play. But I think one other thing here, Lee, I'd like to get your thoughts on this as well. It's also what else can happen between now and September 14th. Keep in mind, by the way, people have already voted in this election. You got your ballots Two weeks ago, some people did. I got mine last week. I think about a million people have already voted. So, you know, we're already underway here, thanks to California's rolling system. But I think it's just kind of the question of what more can happen in the next couple of weeks. I would pretty much guarantee Gavin Newsom goes to bed at night. And the one thing he prays is, please, God, don't let the lights go out in California. I just don't need this. So it's, yeah, COVID's a factor. Uh, I think there's just a lot of kind of collateral damage already done in terms of a year of a year of COVID and people's, you know, feeling that uh, the state's just, going in a wrong direction. And it's just that big question of just if there's one more thing that just kind of lands. Because remember back in the last recall election, you know, the final nail in Gray Davis's coffin was that he and the legislature had agreed to increasing the vehicle license fee, uh, politics being what it is in California, uh, people around the state didn't know really this happened. And then a few days before the recall election, people started getting their annual assessment from Sacramento and open up their eyes. Their eyes bugged when they saw that their vehicle license fee that was $200 the previous year was now $600 because it had been tripled. And so that's kind of, you know, the equivalent of the October surprise in election. And so that's the question in the next in the last you know, almost three weeks to go is there a is there a, a September surprise?
1: Yeah, exactly. And you know, as much as um, as much as we've criticized Newsom at this stage, I think he'll probably be receiving some unfair criticism in the sense that the Democratic Party is now tied to a president who whose exit strategy from Afghanistan. Um, is now remarkably tarnished. And today, you know, earlier today, we just learned that Americans died in in an explosion in in, in Kabul. Um, and prayers out to prayers out to them and their loved ones. Um, so his his party is, is, I think, probably nowhere to go but down in the next two weeks. Delta, I, I, I I'm not an epidemiologist or a virologist, but I don't see that getting better in the next two weeks. And then we have. Um, We have the Dixie Fire uh, has been going on for what, Bill, about, it seems like it's been going on for years, but I think it's been going on for about a month. Right. And now Lake Tahoe is, what, within 20 miles, within 20 miles of fires. Um, So we have the chronic problems of forest fires that go back to Newsom's remark that I think nine times as much brushland had been cleared and treated as 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 actually happened where he made that where he made that that mistake um and the and the state's fire chief said he he knew what the correct number was and we're in the middle of a horrible drought where farmers are again wondering um okay what do i do do i pull up my almond trees do i put something new in uh and the drought's not getting any better in the next two weeks and um you know, let's keep our fingers crossed that the fires do get better. Um, but, um, you know, this is not a good time to be gathered. In
2: yeah. Now, as much as we've criticized the governor here, let me reiterate one point here. I I don't wager on politics. I I would not wager other people's money. I say this as somebody who has been wrong with every step of the way that Donald Trump for the past five years in terms of what I thought he would do in terms of his political ambitions. But, You just look at the nuts and bolts of California politics, and it's still Governor Newsom's race to lose. Why? It gets back to the statistics. He still has a 22-point advantage in voter registration. He has money. The other candidates don't. He has controlled the airwaves in California, so expect, expect what Lee was saying. If he has effective messaging, that helps his cause. For easier for him to turn out Democrats than for Republicans to count on this sort of bow wave of anger to emerge. So if you had to wager, if you had to place odds on that, the odds are still that he survives. Now, the question is going to be, though, if he survives by a comfortable margin or if it's razor thin. And I think this has been uh, raised by several columnists now, Lee, even if he wins, but it's by narrow barges, that's still kind of a pretty sharp slap in the face. But um, I still think with three weeks to go, it's still his race to win. Interesting, Bill. I think even if he
1: does win and the margin is small, this is I think this is an implicit vote of no confidence, uh, given the state's demographic makeup of, you know, this, the bluest state in in the country, I think, by far. Uh, And then he only has a year left uh, in which COVID will still be here. Economic challenges will still be here associated with COVID, and then he has to go up for another election. Um, and 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 if my if my perception of Newsom is accurate, the state's not going to really improve next year. So he's going to have to have a do over, you know, one more time a year from now. So it's um, interesting times. Um, and uh, you know, I'll, I'll just leave you this, with this last piece. Um, uh, if you've seen this, uh, there's a compilation of LA Times headlines and opinion uh, piece titles about Larry Elder, r- ranging from "Life will be worse for blacks and Latinos under Larry Elder" all the way up to "Larry Elder is the black is the black face of it's, white it's supremacy." supremacy right? um, so <laughs> it's just it's remarkable to the extent that um, you know how the media is 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 treating this, and I can't I can't but help. To see that, given the mood of uh, given the mood of voters, that this is going to be more off putting than uh, than pushing voters towards Newsom. Mm-hmm.
0: This has been very interesting um, and timely analysis. Thank you, gentlemen, for your time. Thank
1: you, Jonathan. Thanks, Jonathan. Uh, A lot of fun. Thanks, Bill.
0: You've been listening to Matters of Policy and Politics, the Hoover Institution podcast devoted to governance and the balance of power here in America and around the free world. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you might hear it. And if you don't mind, please spread the word. Get your friends to have a listen. The Hoover Institution has Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter feeds. Our Twitter handle is at Hoover Inst. That's at Hoover I-N-S-T. Bill Whalen is on Twitter. His handle is at Bill Whalen CA. Leo Hanian is also on Twitter. His handle is at Lee underscore Hanian. Please visit the Hoover website at Hoover.org and sign up for the Hoover Daily Report, where you can access the latest scholarship and analysis from our fellows. Also, check out California On Your Mind, where Bill Whalen and Leo Hanian write every week. Again, this is Jonathan Mervoida sitting in Bill Whalen's chair this week. He'll be back for another episode of Matters of Policy and Politics. Thank you for listening.
1: This podcast is a production of the Hoover Institution, where we advance ideas that define a free society and improve the human condition. For more information about our work or to listen to more of our podcasts or watch our videos, please visit hoover.org.